0: a Bible, you may like to turn to Matthew and chapter 5. If you've not got a Bible with you, um, someone's already raising their hand. Please raise your hand uh, and one will come out to you. That'd be great. Thank you. Okay, Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read um, from the first verse. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went upon a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful Um, apart from last week when I spoke on something differently, um, the last few times when I've been speaking, uh, to the church, we've been looking at these beatitudes, um, and we've covered the first, um, four, um, we now come to the fifth one, which is blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. First of all, we need to know what, what mercy is, um, Some people may be confused about this. Like Timmy. Timmy was a six-year-old boy uh, that his mum loved very much. And she was quite concerned about him and worried about him a bit. And um, she was quite concerned one day because Timmy came up to her and said, Mum, you know, me and my mates, we're going into year two now. We quite like to walk to school on our own. We don't want you with us. I want to be like the big boys at school. And his mum was like, oh, he's only young though. I'm not sure about this. And um, so uh, she thought, well, what, what can I do? I don't want to embarrass him in front of his mates. So she came up with a plan. <coughs> the plan was this. She got um, someone that she knew who lived nearby um, called Mrs. Uh, Goodnest. She she um, she got she said, look, will you follow Timmy to school? Will you kind of hang back be- behind him um, and follow him to school uh, and, and just make sure he's all right so he's not embarrassed with his mum walking with him? And so uh, she agreed. She'd got a little little toddler of her own. Uh, she said, oh, it would be good. You know, I'm up early. I'll, I'll do that. We'll have a bit of exercise, uh, whatever. So every day, uh, that's what happened. The next day, Mrs. Goodnest and her little girl, Marcy, she set out to follow uh, behind Timmy uh, walking to school. And as they began to watch school every day, these lads were chatting and they were just kicking stones and, and looking at snails and things like that. But after a while, um, Timmy's mate said, look, there's a woman who f- keeps following us. I'm a bit concerned about that. And Timmy said, oh, don't worry about it. That's, um, yeah, I, I know who she is. And, and this lad says, well, who is she? And she says, oh, that's just, that's just Shirley Goodnest. And he says, Shirley Goodnest, who's he? Why is she following us? And Timmy said, look, you know, my mum's a bit concerned about me. Every night. We read Psalm 23, because uh, she worries about me so much. And in the psalm, it says, Shirley goodness and Marcy will follow me all the days of my life. She said, so I'm just going to have to get used to it. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> so maybe this afternoon's meeting will be a little bit shorter. Um It might well be. What, what does mercy mean? Well, that joke doesn't tell us anything about what mercy means. Um, mercy. What's the difference between mercy and grace, for example? Well, grace. Grace is love shown to us when love isn't deserved. God pours out his grace on our lives, doesn't he? He shows us love when we don't deserve it. We, we act in a way which is contrary to God. We, we, we act in a way which is... Uh, rebellious against God, yet God pours out his grace on our lives. And uh, God also pours his mercy on our lives as well. We've been singing about it today. Mercy is, is love that is shown to us when it's prompted by the misery and helplessness of the one who's going to receive it. So um, grace is about whether we deserve it or not. I mean, mercy is given to us because we're, because we're miserable or someone is miserable and, and helpless and can't do anything about it. I guess it's like when you see those different films, maybe in war films or something like that, and, uh, someone's about to be killed, and, uh, you know, maybe they're, they're, they're the enemy or, or whatever, but, but suddenly you find out, oh, it's a, it's a woman and a child, and they're, and they're, you know, they're the enemy, and, and we need to defeat them, but they're, they're absolutely helpless, they're, they're begging for mercy, and the person doesn't kill them because, Because of who they are, because of, because of their helpless situation, because of their miserable state. It's nothing to do whether they deserve it or not. They're the enemy. Maybe, maybe they're not even involved in the war, but it's how they are. That's mercy that is given. So that's, in case you're wondering, the difference between grace and, and mercy. I guess there's another big question that comes though when we look at this verse. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Here's a big question. You may well get questions like this when you read the Bible. You suddenly stop and think, well, I don't understand this. What does it mean? Okay, question. Is Jesus teaching us here that we will only receive mercy from God if we show mercy to other people? So is our receiving mercy from God, does that depend on whether we show mercy to others? The verse is, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy, presumably from God. Okay, well, let's find out. It's time to get interactive. Um, you know, it's uh, you know, in, in the age of X Factor and when you can ring up and vote and Britain's got talent and ask the audience and strictly come down to, All of these things. Okay, we're going to take a vote. Uh, time to interact. Who thinks that this Jesus' is teaching... That you will only receive mercy from God if you show mercy to other people. Okay, if you're confident enough that you think that's true, just put your hand up. I want to say who it is. No one thinks that. One or two think that. Okay, that's cool. All right, who thinks definitely that that's not what Jesus is teaching? He's not teaching that. Okay, well, that's, got, that's the winning so far. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. Let me read a few because it's good to look at other passages, isn't it? Let's flick over to Matthew 6. Verse 14. Matthew 6, verse 14. This is at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay. Anyone changed their mind? Has anyone changed their mind and thinks that Jesus is teaching? That you have to forgive other people if you're going to be forgiven by God. Or if you have to show mercy to other people if you're going to show mercy to God. It's the same kind of thing, isn't it? Anyone change their minds? A you are looking a bit worried. Let's look at Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Verse 21. A bit of a longer passage this. Parable of the unmerciful servant. Um, we'll read from uh, this, uh, from verse 23. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle uh, the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children, uh, and all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. And the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, or had mercy on him, Cancel the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found that his fellow servants, one of his fellow servants, who owed him a 100 denarii, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Okay, we've looked at some more passages. Who now thinks that Jesus is teaching... You will only be receive mercy from God if you show mercy to others. Ah, you're reluctant to say it. <laughs> well done. You've resisted. You've resisted. We will explain some of these because it, it does. It does at first seem. So that's what it's saying, doesn't it? It does. You know, you can read those passages and think, well, it's pretty clear. The only reason. That, I reckon you guys are not thinking it's pretty clear because you have been taught so well over the years by Arnold. (laughs) And he would have been very upset had he been here (laughs) if lots of people had put their hand up, yes, that's true, that's what God's saying. Because if we believe that, if we believe that God is teaching that and Jesus is teaching that, then we would have to get rid of the whole concept of grace from the New Testament, we have to say everything that the New Testament says about grace and receiving things that are totally undeserved is not true. Still leaves us with a bit of a problem in how to interpret these passages. But but it's good to understand that you can't just read the verse, um, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy, and just interpret it in what seems to be the obvious way. Because it isn't the obvious way. The Bible teaches us uh, time and time again that we receive grace and mercy from God and it is totally undeserved. And in fact, the definition of mercy, when I gave you the definition of mercy and grace, that teaches us, doesn't it? The def- very definition says it's not something we deserve. That God's either responding to us um, out of his love Even though we deserve something different. Or he's responding to us as he looks on us and sees our absolute helplessness and hopelessness, and he responds it out of that. In fact, if God poured mercy out on us because of something we'd done, because we'd shown mercy to others, it wouldn't actually be mercy because we'd have earned it. If we, if it, if it, do you get what I mean? If he says, If God's looking at us and saying, oh, they've shown mercy to this person and this person and this person and this person, therefore I will pour mercy out on them, what he's really saying is they've earned it. They've earned that mercy. It's not mercy. It's a wage. You could go to God and say, you know, on the day of judgment, and and God could say to you, you know, why do you deserve uh, grace and mercy? And, you know, we we wouldn't stand there and say, because I've been merciful to other people. Because we'd be saying, so let me in, because I've done my bit. And and God doesn't do that. God pours it out on us, totally irrespective of how we have done. We need to put this beatitude back in the context of what Jesus is saying. And in fact, we put it in the context even of these beatitudes. We've already had four. We've already looked at these things. So far, Jesus has said that to be his followers... This is what God is making us into. He's making us poor in spirit. It's the first one in verse 3. He's making us poor in spirit. In other words, we are aware, we become aware of our total dependence on God. We become aware that we can't do anything ourselves. Therefore, we become a people who mourn. When we look at the world, we see that it's heading away from God and we, we mourn for that. We're meek. He makes us meek and we, we refuse to defend our own honor, our own reputation when someone attacks us and says, Oh, you've done this and you've done that. We refuse to, we refuse to rise to it and justify ourselves and big ourselves up and say, No, we are better than, than you think of us. And we say, It's God who justifies. It's God who's going to stand up. We'll stand for God, not for ourselves. And then, Lastly, uh, up until now, we've looked at hungering and thirsting for righteousness to come about in our lives, a holiness to come about in our lives, a purity to come about in our lives. Interestingly, none of those things are things that we do. Jesus isn't looking at those, those early, early Beatitudes and talking about what we do. And there's a, there's a good reason for that. Because we love to be a people who say, okay, we'll follow you, tell us what to do. Tell us what to do to follow you. And God says, no, I'm telling you who I'm making you into. I'm changing your character. I'm changing who you are. I'm far more concerned about who you are than what you do. We see it time and time again in the Bible. We'll look at some examples in a moment which say the same thing. God's first of all talking about who we are, what he's making us. He's making us poor in spirit. He's making us those who mourn. He's making us those who are meek. He's making us those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. So that now, when the rest of these Beatitudes, where he does talk about what we do, because we don't totally ignore that, but all of that comes out of who we are. All of that comes out of who God's making us. We can't just take them and, and ignore what's come before we can't say about "Oh, let's be peacemakers," because being peacemakers means is is about coming out of who God has made us to be before. So we are already humbled before God, before we've even got to this point of talking about showing mercy to others. God has also always al- already pointed out that we need to be humbled before God. He wants to c- us to come in complete dependence on him he wants us to be humbled before him not thinking that we're any better and we need to keep on doing that it's the thing that god keeps bringing us back to again and again our complete dependence on him when we think that we're better than other people when we think that we're better than we are you know it's the pharisee and the tax collector is another is another story that jesus told to illustrate this isn't it um, if you remember, he, he talked about the Pharisee and the tax collector both coming to worship and pray to God. And the, and the tax collector was aware of his state. He was humble before God. And he said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I'm in total dependence on you. And the Pharisee came and said, looked at the tax collector and said, thank you, God, that I'm not like this tax collector. Thank you, God, that I'm not like him. And he was proud. And he thought he was better and God said, who was the one who went out justified before God? Who was the one who received grace and mercy from God that day? It was the tax collector. Because the tax collector was aware of his total dependence on God. And of his, of his sinful heart. And God brings us back again and again to that point. You know, I know in my life, even this morning, God brings me back to a point where where I I just catch myself and I think, I'm thinking that I'm better than that other person. I'm thinking that I know better. And God says, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't. You're sinful. You're acting in a sinful way. Come and humble yourself before me. That's where God wants to bring us all. To a point of saying, you're dependent on me. You're like that person who is... ...weak and helpless... ...even if you don't know it... ...that's who you are... ...don't think you're something else... ...don't think you're it... ...you're dependent on me... ...and I will pour out my mercy on you... ...and it's only when we've seen all of that... ...it's only when we know... ...how dependent we are on God... ...for for mercy and for grace... ...and that we can't do anything about it... ...that we can even begin to start... ...to show mercy to others... ...our response towards others comes out of God's response to us. That's how it should happen. We respond to others because of God's initial response to us. In fact, when I was asking you that question about how do you interpret this passage, I read you the passage uh, of of the unmerciful servant. But you'll notice at the start, he was forgiven by his master first. He received mercy first. He just didn't, He just thought, that's it. I'm sorted. I'm I'm made right. I'm, I'm, I'm let off the hook. Great. I'll just carry on as I was then. It didn't affect him. It didn't change him. And God says, no. You receiving mercy from me is meant to change you. It changes you. I'm wanting to change you. I'm wanting to change who you are. I'm wanting you to stop thinking that you're you're in charge, so special, so much better than other people that you can you not show mercy to others. I want you to show mercy to me. And so it's when we don't recognise that that we block God's love for us, that we're, that we're saying, we don't need you anymore, God. We're made right, we're okay. We know that when we've been forgiven, we don't deserve it. But we all know, don't we, that we need to know God's mercy and grace on an ongoing basis. It's not like, I mean, in one sense, when we're forgiven by God, when we're justified before God, we're made right. And we're made right, and that's who we are. But we know in our lives that we go on and we, and we mess up. And that we need to know an outpouring of God's mercy and grace in our lives, day by day. We need to keep going back to him for it. It's not like we sorted. It's not like we can go off and ignore God and what he says. The unmerciful servant had been forgiven once, but he, he was blocked from receiving mercy from God because of his unforgiving attitude. So what is our response when we see people in distress? Either obvious distress, or, or even people who seem outwardly to be okay, but we know inwardly. We know their position before God. We know they're in a terrible situation where they are in desperate need for mercy. When we see ourselves as we really are, then we'll begin to look at others and see them as victims as well, as slaves to sin, slaves to Satan. Yes, they'll be, they're also living wrong lives, and, and we, and we, that's justice that we, that we're concerned about. We'll come on to that in a moment. But we, we don't just come with the, well, you're doing wrong. You're a sinner. You're rebelling against, rebelling against God and just come the hard line because we know that we were too. How can we stand and judge other people and say, well, you should be doing this and you should be doing that when we were in exactly the same situation? We've received grace and mercy from God. So we can look at others and think, they're doing these things, they're living a life apart from God, but they're slaves to sin. They can't actually do anything about it. Satan has deceived them. And so we, our hearts are full of compassion. Instead of disliking people when they do certain things towards us, we begin to pity them. Jesus, of course, is our ultimate example. And Jesus on the cross shows this mercy in such amazing ways. Jesus, Luke 23, And um, verse 34, Uh, let's read from verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out to be executed. When they came to the place called the school, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That was Jesus' response. The son of man, the son of God, perfect, never sinned, being crucified along with common criminals, people dividing up for his clothes, gambling for them, casting lots. And Jesus' response, he doesn't look at them and see what they're doing to him. He doesn't feel aggrieved. He doesn't say, how dare they do this? His response is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They're slaves to sin. The enemy has deceived them. And he's saying, Father, have mercy on them. Have mercy on them. Don't punish them for what they're doing. And of, of course, the demonstration of, of Jesus dying on the cross was the act of love that enabled the Father to forgive and to pour out this mercy because, he, because the justice that is equally Needed was poured out on Jesus Himself. And Jesus took it. He said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Stephen was the same. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, in the early chapters of Acts, Acts chapter 7, um, and verse 54, it says, When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He sees Jesus. Jesus has been through this. He knows that. Look, he said, I see the heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. And they rushed at him, dragging at him out of the city. And they began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man called Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. See, Stephen knew. Stephen knew that he could only stand before God because of the mercy that had been poured out on him. He knew it was only because Jesus had already said Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He knew it was only because the Father had poured out his mercy and his grace on his life and now he's in the same situation and how could he then say, God, call down your fire on them because they're killing me and I'm innocent. I'm only standing up for you. How could he do that? Because he knew he was in the same place as them. He didn't know what was going on, and he'd received mercy and grace and forgiveness, And so his response is, "Father," and even in his death, "Father, don't hold this sin against them. Don't hold this sin against them." To be a merciful person, we have to be broken people. We've got to be broken to be able to be merciful. Another biblical example of mercy. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. We'll, we'll not read through this. It's in Luke chapter 10 from verse 25. I'll not read it out because most of us know the story. But you know, you know what happens? You know the man is walking on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's attacked, left for dead. Three people walk past. The priest, religious person, on his way to the temple. And he sees him there and he walks by. On the other side. The Levite, again, someone serving at the temple, sees him, walks by. The Samaritan is the one who stops. The Samaritan who's the one who helps him. You know, the priest and the Levite, presumably they're thinking, we've got other duties at the temple. We've got more important things to be attending to. There's a meeting on. We don't want to be ceremonially unclean. We won't be able to, come, we won't be able to carry out our duties That God has called us to if we stop and touch this man if he happens to be dead. So we'll better play safe. There's other things more important that God has called us to. They walk on by. They feel their obligations are more important. They were doing their religious duty. But God says, that's not what I'm about. That's not what I want to see. We see that in Hosea chapter 6. Hosea, chapter 6. And verse 6. Let's let's read from verse 4 again. This is God. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore I cut you into pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. My judgments flashed like lightning upon you. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. He's saying, "I'm, I'm I'm not concerned about you doing the right thing. I'm not concerned about, oh, I've sacrificed this. I've given the correct offering at my altar. God's saying, I'm concerned about your heart. I'm concerned about what's in your heart. What's in your heart will be shown out by mercy towards people. He says your love, he describes it as being like the morning mist, like the early morning dew. Your love for me is there for for a brief moment, then it's gone. Then it's just dry formality, doing the right thing, living the right way. That's not what I want, says God. I don't want you just doing the right thing, turning up to the meetings because that's what you're supposed to do, living in the right way because that's what people say to you. Just getting on with your own life, being, you know, justifying yourself the rest of the time, not dependent on me, not coming to me, not having that love in your heart. I'm not about empty formality. I want to see something living in your heart, a love for me, which will be shown by mercy to other people. Jesus quotes this same verse in Matthew chapter 9, um, from verses 10 and 12. Um, He was spending time with sinners and tax collectors and and eating with them. The Pharisees uh, saw that there's a problem. Um, So it says, Jesus is having dinner at Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, but not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus is pointing out to these religious leaders. He says, look, you know, it's in your scriptures. Go and learn what it means. This is what God's saying to you. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You know, maybe, maybe these Pharisees are, are seeing Jesus, the, the who they call teacher, the rabbi, and they're saying, "But he's with these these sinners, these unclean people. May, you know, he's going to be ceremonially unclean. He's not. He's he's not going to be able to perform his duties. How can, how can he do that? It's the same kind of principle that maybe the priest and the Levite were thinking about when they when they leave the man on the side of the road. And Jesus is saying, "Look." You don't get it, do you? It's not about ceremonial uncleanliness. It's not about being seen to be doing the right things. He's saying, these people, they're sick. They need a doctor. They maybe don't even know that they're sick, some of them. But I want to spend time with them because I do, and I'm going to have mercy on them. You know, get what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Understand it i have come to save the lost. They're sick. And that's what we are called to do on Jesus' behalf, in Jesus' name today. We see people all the time who are sick, spiritually, who need a doctor. I wonder how we look at them. I wonder when we see people, whether we think, actually, I've got more important things to do. I've got a meeting to get to. I'm leading worship, don't you know? I've got to get there. Can't be late. Can't stop and talk to this person. Can't stop and meet this person's need. This is a warning to us not to get so caught up in Christian activities that means we rush past people who are in distress, that we rush past and miss the opportunity to show God's love and mercy to other people. God's saying, don't get too caught up in your programs and in your duties. I've put you in the world to administer my mercy to a hurting world. So just as we finish, one more question, which comes out of this. I've said, sometimes questions arise. So we've heard about showing mercy. We've understood something of what it means to be a, a people who show God's mercy. Another question. If we are to show mercy to people, what does that mean about justice? How does that reconcile with God's demand for justice? Let's put some flesh on the bones. Let's, ask, let's give some examples. A parents, Christian parents. If we're to show mercy to people, does that mean when our children are naughty, that we don't punish them? That we don't discipline them? That we don't administer justice because we say, we're going to show mercy to you. Some kids are thinking, I hope so. (laughs) What about a Christian judge? Should a Christian judge send people to jail? Should a Christian lawyer actually prosecute criminals, be a prosecuting lawyer? Or should they always be a defense lawyer? What about if you have a business as a Christian and one of your um, employees is stealing from you and you find out? Should you sack them? Or should you show mercy and not sack them? What about in the church? Leaders in the church? Many churches, including our own, will have... um, We'll take seriously what, what the Bible says about church discipline. If people act in a certain way, then it may be necessary to exercise church discipline and, and uh, ask them to leave the church, remove them from the church. I won't going into all of that today. We're not preaching on that. Maybe I shouldn't have mentioned it. Um, it's another bit to strike out for this afternoon. <laughs> but should Christian leaders... <laughs> stick to the notes. Should... <laughs> Should Christian leaders exercise church discipline? It's a legitimate question. Or should we pour out mercy and say it's okay? They're, they're real questions, aren't they, for life? Because actually the Bible is, is teaching us for life. It's not for theory. Oh, that's an interesting you know, people oh, that's a, that was a very interesting message that you preached. Now, it's not about being interesting. God's wanting to teach us so we live our lives in a certain way. And these are real issues that we might find ourselves in. If you're a parent, you'll find yourself in that one time and time and time again. What should we do? Well, I won't take a vote on this one. <laughs> in the Bible, there is a mixture. We see a mixture of justice and mercy in God. And while we are living on this earth, then we are to two. While we are before Jesus returns, that's what we are to do too. So, Matthew 23 and verse 23. Uh, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. Without neglecting the former, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. So again, Jesus is talking about mercy here. He's talking about the Pharisees who were making sure they do everything exactly right. So they're measuring the exact amount of spices that they're going to tithe to make sure they've given God exactly one-tenth. And Jesus is saying, oh, you're so picky about this. But what about things like mercy? But he doesn't just say, "What, what about things like mercy? He says, What about things like mercy and justice, and and faithfulness? So we've got the two together: mercy and justice. They can seem to be at odds with each other, mercy and justice. But Jesus is bringing them together. Zechariah as well. Um, Zechariah chapter seven, verses uh, chapter seven and verse nine. That's a. Zechariah is one of those nightmare ones to find in the Bible. You think you found it and then you've got Zephaniah. Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 9 says, (laughs) Uh, this is what the Lord Almighty says, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. So again, together, administer true justice. In other words, people, it isn't just like, oh, anything goes can do whatever you want, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. They go together. And so you might say, well, how do we do that? How do we know what situations to show justice and how do we know what situations to show mercy? It's too confusing. Well, it isn't always clear cut and that's why we walk in a relationship with God. Because it's not about laws. We can't set out, in this situation you do this, in this situation you do that. We walk with God. We're close to God. And as we worship God, as we know God, and as we come, we are to show mercy, but also alongside showing God's justice to people. Telling people and showing people that actually, it isn't about do whatever you want and everything will be okay. Because God has got standards that we all fail. God is a holy God and desires a holy people. And we all fail. But we equally can then say, but we all fail. And so we can show God's mercy as well. When we administer justice, we do so knowing our own failings, knowing our own poverty of spirit. We don't come with an uncaring and a superior attitude. So when we're disciplining our children because they've done wrong, We do so knowing, oh, but we do wrong all the time as well. We are in the same position, so we discipline them. We bring justice. But we don't do it gladly or with a lightness of heart. We do it with a heaviness of heart. And we do it because we know that that's the right thing to do to train them. But we do it knowing our position before God as well. And when we are in a work situation and we have to bring about some work discipline for something if we're an employer. We do so in a caring way which, which shows understanding and is quick to bring back and forgive. We walk with God. It's not, it's not a clear cut but we walk with God because we know on the day of judgment we're going to stand before God and we're going to know that the only reason we're accepted in his eyes is because of his mercy. And that mercy was coupled with perfect justice. God didn't say, I'm going to show mercy, therefore, I'm just going to let everyone off. The world's rebellion against me, therefore, off you go. It's all right, I'll welcome you in. Neither does God come and say, you're sinners and therefore it's your own fault. I'm doing nothing about that. It's of your own making. No. God comes and in the only way he could, satisfies perfect love, perfect justice, perfect mercy. And he sends his son to come and live amongst us, to live a perfect life, to be the only one who never deserved punishment. Never had to stand before God and face his justice. Stand before his father. And yet God said, and he went willingly, and yet God says, and it's on you I'm going to pour out my wrath, my anger. It's on you that I'm going to satisfy perfect justice. And at the same time, I'm going to show mercy to a world that is in desperate situation. And that's where we find ourselves. And that's where we come time and again to the foot of the cross to see this God of love and we say God we deserve none of this and you poured out your mercy on our lives and we say God help us to show this mercy to a world even when people are annoying us even when people are doing wrong even when we think there's other things to do stop us in our tracks Lord Help us to show your mercy and justice to a a world that is lost without you. Let's pray.